Hi, this is episode number eight and you're listening to Cashflow Candy. Today we're going to be talking to Kate Bora from Employability. Now, I don't meet too many women that have a really powerful, strong communication style. I'll tell you what, Kate definitely meets that. In a couple of minutes, you're going to be blown away with the level of her expertise and know sure enough and soon enough why Kate is being brought in by these companies to help engagement with their team and help their leadership team truly thrive. Like you're going to be blown away with this. There is so much information that Kate packs in. The one thing you know when you speak to an expert, they normally have so much information they want to give and they haven't got enough time to give it out. And this is what this interview is about. You'll be taking so many notes. You'll probably need to listen to it a second time just to catch up because there is so many golden nuggets in this. And I'll give you a hot tip. If you have a leadership team, get them to listen to it too. Please let me welcome you to Kate Bora from Employability. Hi, this is Annette Lakovich and you're listening to Cashflow Candy. Join me while I interview successful entrepreneurs, business specialists, and share the ultimate information, helping you increase your sales, doing what you love. So let's start making some candy for your business. This is Annette Lakovich from Billionaire Babes. I have an exciting guest for you guys today. How would you love it to be able to help your team create better results, more productivity, and reduce all the distractions they actually produce high-quality work? How would you love it to be able to have a star performer that isn't a star performer just for a month or a week, actually have them keep that performance at a high consistency? Sound good? Our guest today is Kate from Employability. She specialises in employee engagement and performance. So let's welcome her today. Hi, Kate. How are you? Hi, Annette. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Now, Kate, let's um, just kick right off just with a little bit about your business. I'd love to know a little bit about that. And then um, I really got Kate in today to be able to educate you guys and share with you how we actually can produce awesome results with your team. But let's just start off with a bit about employability so we can get a bit of a rundown with that. Sure. Well, employability are all about sustainable performance. So I've I've got a corporate background. um, And what I found when I was working um, in finance in corporate was... I was constantly un- under pressure um, from driving engagement, but also from a productivity point of view. Um, so what we do at Employability is really work with organisations through consulting, um, training and coaching to really help drive that sustainable performance. And what I mean, Annette, when I say st- sustainable performance, mm-hmm. it's really about getting that performance consistently. You know, research shows us, and you know, this intuitively feels right for us as well, that most workers or employees are lucky if they get four hours of work done in an eight-hour day. Wow. Now, for business owners, you know, that means that 50% of a person's week is spent largely managing distractions, managing emails, perhaps being in meetings where they don't need to be. Mm-hmm. And so we're all busy, you know. We hear constantly, yeah, that everybody is busy. If you ask someone, how are you, I guarantee you nine out of ten people say I'm really busy. Mm-hmm. The truth is we're not busy, we're just not able to focus. We're not able to do what we're great at. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we can actually start to get our people more focused, and this Mm -hmm. is really about training, we're going to be able to get them delivering more for your organisation. And not only that, this isn't just about the Mm organisations, this is about how it feels for each of us. You know, most people get to Friday and are shattered. I remember back in my corporate days, 3 o'clock Friday, I, I could hardly think. 
Um, so employability, we're all about working with you, working with individuals to help understand what engages them and how they can be more productive on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And also at a more macro level, working with organisations because they know that this stuff's important. You know, mm -hmm. most organisations have engagement mm -hmm. as a key agenda item on their strategy. Yet, a lot of people don't actually know what does engage them. So working with organisations to make sure where they're investing on the engagement front is valuable in terms of returns. Fantastic. Now, you mentioned about sustainability. How do you actually keep that sustainability? How do you actually go into a business and create that? What are some of the things that you do? I think organisations are constantly trying to do this for their people. Um, and I think we've got it back to front. And, you know, a lot of the work I've been doing with organisations and individuals is really about creating it at the bottom level and up. And it's about creating responsibility for employees. Help them understand, create a journey, help them give a framework to be able to do the thinking to understand what it is that engages them and then empower them to partner with their manager and organisation to create it. Rather than what we're currently seeing is organisations, you know, and, and their heart's in the right place, you know, driving out initiatives, which often are really expensive as well, um, driving initiatives. But you know what, I could be sitting there and that may meet none of my engagement mm -hmm. criteria. Um, and so the first piece is empowering our people and putting the responsibility and accountability on them to understand and drive their own engagement. Um, and I think the second piece on sustainability is, you know, for a long time, Annette, I was, um, you know, very much fixed on the concept of, of engagement. And with a finance background, for me, it's all about return on investment. Yeah, How do we get our people, number one, operating at the level that they're capable of? Mm -hmm. um, and if we think about that four hours a day, you know, most people aren't using their brilliance in the way that they really have the capability to do that. And that means it's not impacting your business at the level it should be. Um, and so actually helping people understand what's going on for them. And even if, you know, even if we can get one hour a day where we can be more focused, where we can actually, you know, be um, able to tap into some of our strategic thinking, some of our innovation and creativity, um, if we can do that, we're going to be able to get better outcomes for business. You know, I'm not dreaming eight hours, and I don't think it's practical for people to be on eight hours a day, but, you know, I'm sure in my business I'd want my people to be on more than four hours a day. So you mentioned engagement criteria. Yeah. What is that? Like, I've got an idea, but let's go into that. Yeah, absolutely. So... If you ask people, and I experience with these clients all the time when I'm talking at conferences, you know, what is it that they're looking for? What is, you know, what engages them, what excites them, what motivates them at work? You know, mm -hmm. few people know because it's such a big question. Um, and so what we do at Employability is we've created a framework that actually starts to help unpack that. Mm -hmm. So that's really about, you know, some really great key questions. And there's so many psychological profiling um, tools and assessment tools out there, mm -hmm. which are fabulous. I love them. But the challenge is people think they're interesting. I want things to be useful. Um, so the simplicity of our three-step formula, which is all about uncovering your engagement formula, is so simple that it drives people for action as they walk away. And what we find, in it is when we work with um, organisations rolling this program out, is you have individuals start to become aware of what's going on for them. So if they're unhappy, they go, now I can put words as to why. Yeah. And if I can put words as to why, I'm actually be able to go to my manager and say, you know what, this is what I'm looking for, this is what I need. Rather than what we see is, and again, I've experienced this when I had a team, you know, people kind of chatting to me and saying, look, I'm just not happy. I don't think this is the right place for me anymore. Mm -hmm. 
Now that's a tough problem for me to solve because I actually don't know the real problem. Yeah. So the more that we can unpack that um, and the three-step process to your engagement formula helps you do that, mm -hmm. now has that employee coming to me and saying, you know what, Kate, I'm just not experiencing enough challenge. I really, you know, back in my career, in my history, I loved it when I was working on this system implementation. Mm -hmm. I felt really um, in control. I was dealing with some diverse, dynamic people. You know, I had autonomy to make decisions. That's what I really need to feel again. And then as a manager, I can work with them and my organisation to find that opportunity for them. And that's just one small example. Fantastic. Um, I remember meeting you... Um, I think it was back a couple of years ago and it was at an NLP training. And if anyone's explored NLP, uh, you'd be aware of like the value systems. And one of the things that I do when I go into businesses and if something isn't right with one of the employees, and for me, obviously, I go in there to train them in sales and customer service really is what I do. But you're taking them at a different angle about how do we actually get them to step up. One thing what I've noticed is when we do the values survey is I'm sometimes scared to do it because I'm worried that sometimes we're going to crack open this egg and it's not the right job for this person. One, yeah, it's great because I think that it's doing the employer a favour by saying, look, before we really get stuck into training this person, we need to know if they're going to actually be, you know if we can retain them or if they're going to be pretty much, you know, jumping ship soon because it's not fulfilling them. Is that pretty similar to, like, the criteria, what happens? Like, suddenly they get this clarity where, oh, my gosh, now I know why it's not fitting for me or now I know what I need to do to be able to become more successful within the business. Is that sort of what's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. And I think when I talk with organisations about introducing, you know, employee-led engagement as a concept in their organisation and providing their people with this framework to work through to really uncover, own and then drive their own engagement, one of the things I always say is the reality is there's people in your business right now who at the end of this process are probably likely to move on. Mm -hmm. um, but up until that point, they're trapped because they're trapped by knowing they're unhappy, mm -hmm. but they don't know what else to do. Yeah. Whereas the power of the process is now I know. Now I know why I'm unhappy and I have a choice. So the employee-led engagement process, the concept, working your people through this, mm -hmm. empowers and creates freedom. Freedom to understand where I'm at now and maybe say, you know what, okay, now I can accept that a little bit more mm -hmm. because I need to be here potentially for maybe financial reasons, which is not ideal for the organisation, but what you have with acceptance is less resistance. Um, or you have people go, you know what, actually, there's something going on for me here. Potentially it's around the organisational value or perhaps, you know, we know... Um, individuals don't leave organisations, they leave managers, perhaps it's around the manager and they kind of get to that point, they go, you know what, actually I need to leave yeah. because I don't have the power to change. So the reality is, yes, you're going to get people leaving, um, but you know what, they shouldn't be there in the first yeah. place. And what you have, if you use then in term, this process in terms of bringing um, people in, so the recruitment process, yeah. um, you actually start to get people on board who are aligned with your organisation. And I think the one thing I always say, Annette, is, you know, Every organisation is not for every employee and we, I think we have this concept that we need to be that. Organisations really need to be really clear about their culture and how that lines up with the strategy of where they're heading and then recruit the right people yeah, that align with that culture rather than wanting to recruit everybody who's brilliant but probably won't fit from a culture point of view and is likely then in six months' time or maybe they might stay longer but probably in an unhappy way to move on sort of after 12, 15 months.
Look, I'm a big believer in making sure you've got the quality staff there as well because a quality team member not just produces results but it produces a vibe. On the other side, you do actually see that if you have a team member that is not performing or actually has some internal stuff going on, can actually make a big difference to the team, can become cancerous, especially if the team are close-knit because you know there's internal conflict that can actually happen within the team. But you actually spoke about recruiting. So so let's just say you said like you're getting the right people from the start. That's like really what's important, that this in line with your culture. So some of our listeners do continually recruit and especially if, if it's with sales, if it's with management teams, leadership teams, what would be some of the things that they could look for or could implement into their business from the very start to make sure they're actually getting the right people on board? Yeah, I think, you know, recruitment is a really challenging thing because you've got this internal tension between I really need someone on board right now mm-hmm. um, and I want to find the right person. And, uh, you know, from experience, I know that, you know, you can often sit and, um, and be challenged and contemplate um, a, a particular person knowing that, you know what, maybe they can probably do the job, mm-hmm. but your gut tells you they're just not the right person. And, you know, we all know that that will always play out, yeah? Mm. Because your gut is your actual unconscious telling you, warning bells, this is not the right person. <laughs> Stay away. Yeah, absolutely, right? And it's really tough when, when you're working your butt off yeah. to make up for the under-resourcing, yeah, to walk away from that person and stick it out, stick it out potentially months to find the right person. But, it, you know, it pays off mm. because the reality is that person um, if you take them on board and you invest, you know, the, the amount of money, time, energy that we spend in upskilling and training our people yeah. to get them on board, you know, you think about that. We've done um, turnover calculators. You know, it, it sits around conservatively 150% wow. of an annual salary mm-hmm. in terms of the departure and the onboarding of a new employee. Um, so it's a big cost. So getting the, the right person is important. Um, to really look at an interview around um, values. Mm-hmm. I think what, you know... Talk to the individual about what the organisation values are. Be clear, clear on it. And importantly, be able to explain what it is. You know, the organisations... I've walked into organisations and, you know, I ask them what their values are in a room full of senior leaders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, none of them can even recite them, mm-hmm. let alone what does it mean. Yet they still use these values in performance review, annual performance review processes. Um, Tell and share your values, your organisation values, with potential um, employees, but more importantly, expand on what sort of behaviours that looks like in the organisation, yeah, and explore that with the individual. You know, when I used to recruit, I would always undersell the role. I would constantly be saying, here's the reality of what this is going to look like. I'm going to tell you the worst parts Mm -hmm. so that when you're on board you're actually going to be pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and most of my team, once I adopted that framework, would come on board and, and I'd check in with them sort of a month in, how are you finding it, you know, in terms of what you expected? Because a new job's such a big thing for people in terms of how it impacts their life, right? Yeah, right. Um, you know, how are you finding it? Did it match your expectations? And all of them were like, you know what, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't oversell the role and what our tendency is... Mm-hmm is to oversell the role because I desperately want you on board, yeah? yeah? I love you, I love your skills, I want you as part of my team. But the most important thing, Annette, is if, that, if it's not right for them, mm-hmm. they're not going to be right for your team and you'll find that out the hard way. So you're saying it's sort of been in, in desperation, in needing someone to fill that role, to hire slowly, like take your time, dot your I's, cross your T's, so to speak, 
But as well, when you actually have that right person in front of you, not to oversell it and make it sound like it's like the best job in the world, actually paint the picture of probably the worst things, the most challenging things that are going to happen. So when they do come on board, it's a pleasant surprise. Is that right? Yeah, well, and when the challenges come up, they're expecting them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, cool, I can deal with this. Because what's happened is right back before you've even offered them the role, yeah, they've set up that expectation and mentally know that they can deal with that. They've considered that when taking the opportunity. Now, I know that you've been caught in with um, some some large companies. You've been brought in by KPMG, uh, Mission Australia, New South Wales Treasury, and you've gone in and you've helped different levels in a lot of businesses as well. So let's talk about the leadership team, because I think at the moment we're sort of talking about the the people that are really in the face-to-face with the customers or really driving the business. What about who's driving the team? Who's sort of in that higher level? So let's talk about what can you do with the the senior management with leadership teams what are some of the key things that they actually need to really be able to know to shove a rocket ship up those those team members yeah I think authenticity is so critical in leadership um what we've seen across you know years gone by is that you know if we were to brainstorm and I've done this with a group right what are the qualities of great leaders you could feel this whole room of qualities. Right. Now, the reality is... That's a pretty big room. Yeah. The reality is no one person can ever fulfil all those qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the most important thing, and, and we work with organisations around this concept um, that's come out of the US, Gallup, and, and it's this really just this strengths-based movement mm-hmm. um, in terms of leadership and really saying, you know, who are you and what are you great at? Um, and focusing as a leader on what I'm great at uh-huh. and then partnering, working with others to create powerful leadership, mm-hmm. yeah, because a leadership team can absolutely embody all those qualities. Mm-hmm. A leadership team of sort of five or seven people, they can have all those qualities. Mm-hmm. And within that, if each individual is stepping up and playing to their strengths mm-hmm. and each individual respects each other's strengths, so we've got transparency around that, yeah. as a team we're able to deliver at a much bigger capacity. Uh-huh. Contrasted with me perhaps feeling like I need to be executing at a number of different levels and doing nothing well. Yeah. Yeah? So I think one of the key pieces that I really encourage organisations to do is embrace strengths. Embrace where people really excel. Mm -hmm. Partner that up and then look where the gaps are and create a strategy yeah, to support that. And sometimes that may, may mean, you know, in a particular capability, um, it might be mean upskilling someone um, sort of more junior within the organisation or even outsourcing, yeah? Because mm-hmm. if your leadership team don't necessarily have have the individual strengths and collaborative mm-hmm. um, as a group, they don't have a particular strength, you know, look at maybe bringing in a particular mentor to help lead that group, mm-hmm. knowing that it's a little bit of a weakness for them. Janine from Boost Juice actually mentioned exactly the same um, methods as what you're saying with the leadership team. She hires the the person that she thinks is right for the job, but she hires them on the quality and she looks at where their strengths are and then she places them within the business for that leadership team. It's not like she expects that one person to have all those different qualities. She will hire specific people from that. And I love it because it takes away, one, the pressure, I think, from that individual, but two, like the performance, like as soon as you acknowledge what they're great at, and you mentioned the word they step into their brilliance like the results that they would produce would be second to none right because yeah, it feels good it feels good to be doing what we're great at yeah. Yeah, it doesn't feel good to struggle now the reality is as we build capability um, we do often need to go through that space where there is some struggle but you know you want to see your people coming out of that pretty quickly and if someone you know and 
if someone's really struggling in a space, I remember I had an employee once and, you know, people skills is obviously a, a big strength for me and a big passion for me. Um, and I had this staff member who was sort of one of the more junior leaders in my team. And, you know, I was constantly saying to him, you know, if you want to progress, you really need to kind of be a little bit more, um, show a bit more people leadership within mm -hmm. the team and really, you know, would encourage him just to have, um, build rapport with some of the other team members. Now, the reality is just wasn't his thing. Um, when this really, you know, when this really dropped in for me, this whole strength thing really um, shone out for me, it was when I actually had to do a project and I put him in charge um, of the project. So he was kind of my on-the-ground person for the project and it was a system-based implementation, all the stuff I really don't love, um, but I was leading it. So, you know, I had a particular skill set that, um, that, so I was leading the project. And you were building that strength. Yeah, I was, I was building that strength. You know, it's, you know, there's those things in it that you're good at but you really don't love and sometimes you get pulled in to do it because you're good at yeah it was one of those things um but so I was involved in leading this and it was you know trans-tasman all that sort of fun stuff he shone he was remarkable because he was operating in his strength he was in the detail and I was blown away and it was that it was right then that the penny hit me and I had a chat with him kind of about halfway through the project and I said you know what we need to have a chat in terms of career direction um, where you're at because you know we you're in a role which is kind of progressing you mm. towards the, towards towards where people leadership is going to be critical but I kind of don't know if you actually want to go there and I, I see this space where you are just naturally brilliant mm. and and you're loving it um, and, you know, let's talk about some of the career options that might be next steps for you if you pursue that sort of path. Yeah. It's, it's quite interesting. I've just had a, a thought then. How many people are in a role in the business? And they could be in the wrong role. And it could be a matter of just finding out what their qualities are, what their strengths are, moving them sideways in the business instead of actually, you know, shipping them out. Because they obviously understand the ethos of the business and they've already got so much knowledge there. And, you know, could that be happening where we're getting people out of the business where really it's finding out what their strengths are and moving them sideways? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you've got two choices when you when you embark on a strengths journey and StrengthsFinder 2.0, Google it. Um, there, it's a great book and there's an online assessment that walks your people through this as well um, if you want to sort of explore it a little bit more um, or get in contact with me because I do have um, some information I can send to you, absolutely. But what you have... Um, if, you, if you're not using it from recruiting the right people in, and absolutely I'd encourage you to do that, with the people in your organisation, if you can facilitate um, that experience of understanding what their strengths are mm -hmm. and then empower them in terms of how can you leverage that in the organisation. Yeah. The philosophy on weaknesses, and, and we have that, you know, I've sat in organisations where, you know, um, with teams we've done this process. Um, and everyone's understood their strengths, that's all great, and then we've looked at their role. You know, if you weren't in your role, if you were recruiting your role, what would be the key strengths profile? And, you know, um, I've had people sit there thinking, and none of mine match. It's really about understanding then what is it that you are strong at and how can you transition that? And then potentially where there are some gaps and likely it's going to feel that way because they're like, oh, yeah, I always really struggle with that part of my role. Yeah. You know, we talk about sales. Mm -hmm. Typically, a high-end, brilliant salespeople struggle with admin. They do. Okay? I've, I know that they're the right for the job when I see that they... Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Um, we had it in organisations for years. So we all know, you know, a high-end, brilliant salesperson typically is not great at admin. 
yeah? And so, you know, I've worked in organisations where we've experienced this and I've been on the pain side because I'm in finance and we can't collect money and there's no information and... Dead salespeople, they keep making the sales but we don't know where they're coming from. Yeah, absolutely, right? And so, you know, in that organisation what we did is we actually got coordinators on board who were strong at the admin and who partnered with two or three salespeople mm -hmm. to help them get the admin done that they needed yeah. to then drive that sale through the business, mm -hmm. yeah? And so there's, you know, there's different strategies you can use. You can either, you know, if someone's in a role where there is a particular um, capability required that isn't a strength, because the reality is we can't go reshaping roles just, you know, to fit people all the time. Mm -hmm. It can, we can do it, you know, occasionally or potentially if we've got an absolute superstar, but, you know, we really do need to look at what's our strategy for our organisation, who do I need on board, what are the strengths and capabilities yeah. that I need, and then get the people to match that rather than the other way around. Um, but, you know, getting the right person on board, yeah, and then understanding if there's gaps, you can partner them with a colleague who does mm -hmm. have a particular strength because if we're great at something, we love to coach someone else and share that strength, right? Mm. So that's one strategy. Potentially outsourcing it, and that's always my first point of call, is does this person or anyone else in the organisation need to do it at all? Question one, i.e. does it add value mm -hmm. financially or to the customer service? Like what value does this add to my business? Right. Number one, do we need to do it at all? Mm -hmm. Number two, if we do, can I outsource it externally or is there someone else within the organisation we could actually move things around? We call it job crafting mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, someone else is doing it and actually it's a strength of theirs and they're loving it. Yeah. That's what you just mentioned before is it's not always about having to create a role for it. I remember actually I was in a business and this lady used to greet me at reception all the time and she, you know when you just... I specialise in sales, you girls know this. So, you know, this lady, she's really well presented, she's got great people skills and she's a strong communicator. And I'm thinking, she's in the wrong job. Like, yeah, she's great at the front desk, but we need her in the back offices doing sales and getting out there and, you know, creating business. And so one day I just said to the owner, I just said, look, we've got to have a conversation because... <laughs> this girl at the front desk, I'm telling you, we need to move her. She has so much ability to be able to connect with customers. We've got to get her in the forefront of the business. We've got to get her out there. And she's like, oh, my gosh, how will I actually even approach her on it? I said, it will be a compliment for her. It will be a compliment because it's her strength. And she's still there now. Like, this was – I think this was probably maybe – 18 months, I'd probably say about 18 months ago, and I know she's still there today being the salesperson. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, look, engagement, you know what motivates me or, you know, why is it that I spend eight hours in work and only get two hours of work done? You know, they're, they're quite mystical in terms of, you know, I've got, um, when I work often with clients, it's the motivation piece or it's the productivity piece that we often struggle to get through. You know, skills and capabilities I'm able to train that. You know, if you're not great at a particular system or sales, if you're not great, you don't know a process, I can train you in that. It's a skill. Yeah, it's a skill. But the hard part is the want, mm -hmm. that I actually want to get out there and do it, number one. And the second part is that I'm actually able to do as much as I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so they're, they're a little bit elusive in terms of how do we as managers um, embark about coaching our people through that mm -hmm. but absolutely you can it's about providing structure mm -hmm. yeah because they are you know big questions why am I not productive or mm -hmm. why am I unhappy at work yeah. 
break it down, provide a structure, and we do that employability to actually start to help people understand. Because, you know, we have a saying that, you know, our tagline is improve thinking, improve performance. You know, every individual wants to be great at what they do. They want to wake up on a Monday morning That's and come so to work, yeah? yeah? No one dreams of being, you know, at five. We don't dream of growing up and, you know, hating wishing, yeah, hating our yeah. job, not want to go to bed on Sunday night because mm -hmm. I've got to get up to go to work on Monday or, you know... I had someone say to me, you know, that's so true. I had someone say to me, yeah, they do. They really want to, and I think, um, you know, if you as an organisation, as a manager, can help your person find that, even mm. if that's not within your organisation, it's such a gift. Mm. Likewise, if you can help um, your people understand, how do I get more done in my day, so mm. that instead of having to work from five till seven, because that's the only time I'm productive, because I don't have distractions, I don't have phone calls and people constantly needing me, meaning I don't get home to my family till eight o'clock at night. If you can help them figure out how they can get those two hours mm -hmm. in their nine to five day yeah. and get them home to their families, they're going to love you as a manager, as an organisation, and those sorts of people are going to stick around. And you'll have the retention as well. Like, the, the, Sorry, you just said that they're going to stick around. <laughs> I was listening. <laughs> so let's talk about distractions. Yeah. How many distractions do we have in a day? How can we control these distractions? Because I'm sure you've got some tricks up your sleeve for that, yeah? yeah absolutely. This is a real passion of mine. Um, and I think, look, back in my corporate days, you know, I loved, I loved finance, I loved what I did, I was very good at what I did. Um, and as a professional, I remember being incredibly frustrated because I didn't have the opportunity every day to deliver at the level that I knew I could. Um, I was constantly compromised by information overload. You know, f f 10 years ago when I first started sort of, you know, back in the old day, when I first went into the workforce, we didn't have mobile phones. We certainly weren't even called, you know, and, and 10, 15 years wasn't that long ago. We didn't have email, right? And we still got things done. Organisations still got things done. Mm -hmm. But today, you know, constant barrage of information from a sensory point of view. Um, you're constantly overloaded by emails, people who want to see you. If you manage people, mm -hmm. it's spending time with your staff because they've got questions. Client calls, yeah, things that you need to do. I know most managers mm -hmm. actually have a full-time job mm -hmm. on top of managing people. You know, and so not only are we constantly under tension, all this information, it's a little bit like, um, you know, an hourglass. How information goes into our brain, it needs to go through a gatekeeper. And what happens is when we've got too much going in, mm -hmm. we get to the point of overload and yeah. we go into, yeah, fight and fright and freeze mode yeah. and we shut down. We go into stress mode because we're, we can't we're cope. Yeah, absolutely. We've got. Um, I'm working on a book at the moment called The Overloaded Brain with ah, a colleague of mine. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Yeah, it is, um, and it's really about starting to explore what's going on for people. Mm -hmm. Why do I shut down? It's called cognitive bottleneck, mm -hmm. um, but it's where the brain shuts down, and we've all had that moment. You know, a simple example is you know if you're walking along the street and someone you know is walking towards you, and you've forgotten their name, and you're like, "What's their name? What's their name? What's their name?" Oh, I've never done that. Ah. <laughs> I know, and it's you know, and you can't for the life of you think of their name now you know if you're lucky you kind of get through it without having to say anything more than maybe a minute later you've said goodbye to them you keep walking down the street turn the corner bang the name pops into your head yeah, yeah because the brain's not under pressure mm -hmm. yeah you've taken that pressure off you're not going what's what's their name what's their name what's their name yeah. the pressure's gone off and the name comes in you know you yeah. want to be able to help your people be in that state as much as possible mm -hmm. yeah and you know email or email I work with clients in terms of 
um, being able to manage that process because mm -hmm. so many people work in a constant reactive mode, mm -hmm. yeah, and the choice to respond rather than react. Mm -hmm. Now, I have my mobile phone on silent all the time. Yeah. Why? <laughs> because if it rings, it's cutting into what I'm working on and I will react. And if I'm reacting to it and I've seen his, whose name it is, yeah. then I'm like, well, I might as well, I'm already distracted, I might as well pick up the phone, yeah, yeah? rather than at a point in time choosing to look at my phone, seeing if there's been missed calls and returning those calls when it's right for me. Yeah. That's really interesting. I do a time management workshop and in that workshop I actually teach two batching techniques and this is how I work as well, which is I batch anything that's to do with typing and responding to emails. I put that all together and phone calls because I'm on different area of my brain as well. Like I'm in total focus mode, total communication mode. I actually book, and this is just a tip for you girls that are going out there doing sales, I actually book some of my hardest sales phone calls after I've done some type of presentation where I've used so much skill of connection and power and just really leading because I find I'm at my peak, I'm in an awesome state. So that's when I normally book in a phone call after that and you guys might be thinking, why would you put that much pressure? You know what, for me, it's like I'm in my peak state and I know when I pick up that phone, I'm going to be on fire and I'm going to book that conference or that meeting because I'm in my peak. So when you're actually saying about these distractions, I love that you're actually saying about, you know, turn the mobile phone off. My belief is the phone is there for your convenience, not the callers. So when I'm working, I do actually have my phone off too. And my husband, it drives him nuts sometimes because it will be sometimes like eight o'clock at night and he will still be trying to call me and I've forgotten that my phone's been on silence. And he'll go, don't tell me your phone was on silent again. I go, it was. Absolutely. <laughs> the thing I, you know, the challenge I see though in organisations is the desire to perform and to do a good job is to respond to emails in five minutes. So what happens is, you know, we, we're in a role and we're wanting to do a good job and someone has a question of us, we're letting other people control yeah. our time all the time, yeah? yeah? And so what, when I work with, um, you know, employees, I get them saying, okay, cool. So if you weren't constantly reacting, if you were responding, what would your day look like? What's the choices that you would make mm -hmm. around utilising your time rather than what's often hap happening? You know, everything's urgent. Mm -hmm. Is it really? You know, yeah. actually empowering your people to be able to take control of their time mm -hmm. and be able to respond rather than react. And when I'm responding, I'm actually coming from such a better space, yeah, mm -hmm. because I'm at a place where I'm able to think. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if I'm needing to have a conversation, I've either done the prep that I need to mm -hmm. with that particular person rather than picking up the phone and potentially having it when I'm not ready. And because of being able to manage um, your distractions, like you're saying, that has a massive increase in productivity. And what I actually talk about is how do we actually increase your return? So if we can actually, we can save you an extra 25% of your day from these distractions, you will end up being able to create more uh, quality um, outcomes and results. Really in turn, you should be able to have a 25% increase in income because you'll be able to be more focused on the results, the results in growing your business. Yeah. 
You've given us such great information here, really about how to get your team engaged, how to actually get quality performance, how to actually increase the retention. So thank you so much for sharing all your expertise with us. Now, if I've got some ladies on here saying, you know what, I want to get in contact with her, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, go to my website, employability.com.au, um, or you know what, just Google Kate Bora. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. All my contact details are both on my website and also on LinkedIn. Um, that's a whole other kettle of fish in terms of like love LinkedIn you guys all need to be on it in terms of business um, but yeah google me look me up on LinkedIn connect with me um, and yeah let's start a conversation awesome wonderful now guys if you have loved today share the love with another woman in business please pass this on hi this is Annette Lakovich and you're listening to Cashflow Candy Join me while I interview successful entrepreneurs, business specialists, and share the ultimate information, helping you increase your sales doing what you love. So let's start making some candy for your business.